Welcome to First Church Live. My name is Brian, and we are one church that meets in hundreds of locations. We have people right now worshiping with us at our North Garnett location, as well as all over the 918 and beyond. So those of you who are uh, on site with us, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family? We are excited that you are with us uh, today. We are wrapping up a series that we have called Catch the Wind, and we have talked throughout this series a lot about wind and a lot about windmills. And we even spent some time last week, if you were here with us or caught us online, um, uh, out at the uh, Drummond Ranch Wind Farm. And I don't know if you've ever been up close to those windmills. Um, That was my first time. I had a chance to go and be a part of that video. And uh, uh, that was my first time being that close to those, uh, those windmills. And those things are impressive. When you get close to them, um, you know, from a, from a distance, they're pretty, they're pretty impressive, but you get close, man, they are, they are impressive structures. Uh, my only experience really with windmills was the windmill that was in my grandparents' front yard in, uh, in Kansas. Uh, it was only about six or seven feet, um, and uh, it just sat as a decoration uh, in my grandparents' front yard. You could see it from the picture window as you looked out um, into the yard, and uh, it was a sturdy, um, well-built structure. I know that firsthand because there were many times when I was playing wiffle ball with my brothers in the front yard where I would run into the um, uh, windmill and it did not move. I moved, right? And so, so I would get up and it, this happened multiple times. I don't know, I don't know at what point I, uh, I realized it was there because it never moved, but uh, I would go inside crying because I was hurt and my grandma would give me a, a paper towel with water on it because that fixed everything, right? And my grandpa would look at me and just say, you know, say, like, you're a dummy. What are you doing? Like, why do you keep running into the windmill? Um, but it was just a well-built, sturdy structure that sat in um, their yard. It really served no, no purpose. It was a mere decoration in the yard of my grandparents in the small town of Grantville, Kansas. Chad said this last week. He said, but just as a windmill without wind serves no purpose, the same is true for a church that isn't empowered by God's Spirit. A church that isn't propelled by the Holy Spirit is nothing more than a nice social club, nothing more than a mere decoration on the landscape of our culture, and that's not what Jesus intended his church to be. Over the past few weeks, we've been walking through the book of Acts. And God, God's spirit shows up um, into the early church and uh, it explodes on the scene. And the church explodes on the scene because, because they caught the wind of the Holy Spirit. In the first few chapters of the book of Acts, we see God, as God's spirit comes down on the early church, the church is born for the very first time. Uh, very first time. A few chapters later, we see uh, the spirit of God come onto, uh, in, onto Peter. And Peter takes the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time. We continue on in the book of Acts and we see God's spirit begin to lead the apostle Paul. And and God's spirit leads him and changes the direction and the course that that Paul wanted to to take, the, the direction Paul was going. And I love what Paul did in that moment. He didn't fight the direction of the spirit. He didn't fight where the spirit called him to. He merely followed the leading of God's spirit. And we see the church in Philippi is born. And then we're, we were reminded at the end of the book of Acts that God's, uh, the Spirit of God is an unstoppable force. 
We finished in Acts chapter 28, and Paul is under house arrest. He is, he is awaiting um, his, his time before Caesar. He's in Rome, um, and, 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 and he, is, he is under house arrest there. And we read these words at the end of the book of Acts. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the picture that we see here at the end of the book of Acts. The picture of the gospel continuing to move forward. In fact, throughout the entire book of Acts, we see that, the, that the, uh, the, regardless of the circumstances that people find themselves in, regardless of the circumstances that the early church was in, regardless of the circumstances that, that Paul was in, when they caught the wind of, of, of God's spirit, the gospel continued to move forward. Because they allowed the early church, the people in the book of Acts, they allowed God's spirit to move and direct their lives. And the great thing for us today is that that same spirit is available to us. Last week, Chad said it this way. We are the empowered people of God. You see, God empowers us, his church, through his Holy Spirit. And the empowered church is here to take the message of Jesus Christ to a world that is in desperate need of the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. Early in this series, um, uh, we used the idea of a sailboat or a ship um, as one of our illustrations for, for catching the wind. Now, I'm not a boat person. I know some of you uh, are, are boat people. Um, you like the lake. I'm indifferent, right? So I'm not, I've never been sailing. Um, I've never been on really many, many boats, but I've watched a lot of TV and lots of, lots of, watched a lot of movies. And so I have a good idea of what that looks like, right? And so uh, I don't know about you, but, but you, you watch the movies, you see, you see movies, you maybe have, you've heard this phrase before, and it's the phrase, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. And what that means is, uh, at least in the movies, and I'm sure that's true because Hollywood always gets it right. Um, uh, so um, in the movies, at least, what that means is that everyone stops what they're doing and they come up to the deck and they are going to get instructions on what it's going to look like for them uh, over the next few moments. Usually there's an emergency, there's something that needs to happen, and they need everyone to come together in order to propel the mission forward, to keep the ship uh, upright, to keep, keep the sails going in the right direction. Everyone needs, needs to be on deck, all hands on deck. We use that in my house a little bit differently. Usually, um, uh, we've got family coming over or friends coming over, and our house is a, is a mess because we have three kids who are absolute pigs. And uh, uh, so, so our house is a mess, and Christy will say these words, all right, turn off your screens, turn off your devices, turn off the TV. It's all hands on deck. We got to get this house uh, ready to go for grandma and grandpa or, 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 or whoever's coming over. We need everyone to come together in order to make things work right. And so we are, as a church, we find ourselves in an all-hands-on-deck moment. We are um, living in a time that many of us have never experienced before. We are in uncharted territories. Uncharted territory. We've talked about this um, over the last few months, that we are living in a time that no one has ever really experienced before. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time today is I want to look at what the early church did. When they experienced an all-hands-on-deck moment, um, when they experienced uncharted territory, how did they react? What did they do? If you have bought your Bibles and the electronic device, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 6, that's where we're going to be most of our time um, uh, today. But let me set the stage for you. As you're, as you're getting there, let me set the stage for you what's, what's happening. The book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down, the church is born, and the church absolutely explodes. People are coming to follow Jesus left and right. It is, it is an amazing, 
amazing moment. The church is just busting at the seams. And we get to Acts chapter 4. At the end of Acts chapter 4, we read this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put that at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as, they, as he had need. We see this, this, uh, uh, this early church coming together. I don't know about you, but that's something that I would love to be a part of. Like, can you imagine being in this moment? Can you imagine being, being with the early church and you're looking out and you're seeing all this, the, these people come together and they are just taking care of, of all the needs, all the issues that people are, 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 ha- are having. They're, they're, uh, they're serving one another. They're loving one another. They're, they're, they're doing all this stuff and people are beginning to ask these questions. Like, why are you doing this? Like, what is, this is different than we've ever experienced. What, what, is, what is the difference in your life? And I wonder if the early church just, just pointed everyone back to Jesus. Hey, it was, it's because of what Jesus did that we are doing these things. We are loving people. We are serving others because of Jesus. If you keep going in Acts chapter 5, we see that as the, the church continues to grow, the religious leaders begin um, to get jealous. This is not uncommon. We see that we saw this all throughout the Gospels, that, that as Jesus' uh, his ministry is exploding and, and, and growing, the religious leaders get upset. And so just like they did with Jesus, they, they, they don't like this, so they get the apostles, they arrest the apostles, they throw them in prison, and they think, hey, we're going to take care of this tomorrow. God in his, in his infinite wisdom and his glory, he sends an angel of, a, of the Lord to them in the middle of the night. He, he sets them free. And I love what happens here because he doesn't say, the angel doesn't tell the apostles to go back home and lock the doors and just lay low for a little bit until this whole thing blows over. Then you can come back out and, and, and move forward. No, he says, tomorrow, go back to where you've been and do what you've been doing. Continue to preach the gospel of Jesus. The next day, people, the people go to uh, uh, get the apostles to bring them before the religious leaders, and they, they're not there, and they're, they're, they're wondering where they are, and then someone comes and says, hey, like, those guys are back at it. Like, they are back in the, the temple courts. They're preaching, and they're teaching. Well, as you imagine, the religious leaders don't take, uh, are, are very happy about this, and so they decide, well, if we can't stop them, we'll just kill them, and that was their plan. There's one guy within their group of the religious leaders that says, hold on, guys. Let's, let's, let's think for a moment. Because uh, if, if we kill these guys, um, it, it, may, it may stop them. It may stop them. If, if it's not of God, it doesn't matter. But if this is from God, it doesn't matter what we do to them. We cannot stop this. And so instead of killing them, they decide to have them flogged, which we talked about a few weeks ago, how, how painful that was. And they flogged the guys, and they tell, the apostles, they tell them to go, go back and, and quit talking about Jesus. Well, well the apostles just, just uh, are, are joyful because they are kind of worthy to suffer for the gospel. And they go back, and look, look what Luke says at the end of chapter 5. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. It didn't stop these men. It didn't stop the church. The church continued to grow. The church continued to grow. And then we get to Acts chapter 6. 
And look what happens in Acts chapter 6. So you just remember, they've, they've been beaten. They've, uh, uh, they've been told not to preach. They still go, they go house to house. They go temple courts. Every day they're teaching. Now in these days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the church is growing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You see, what we see here is what a lot of churches go through. From time to time, there is this struggle that is happening within the early church. It's not, not unlike churches that in, in our day and age that, that, that things are happening and there's, there's, there's tension, there's struggles within, within the church. And you know why that is? It's because churches are full of people. And because, because we are all people, we're all messy, we all have messes, no one's perfect, because of that, we see struggles in the church. In the early church, one, just, just weeks, months removed from being with Jesus, they experienced struggles because they were, we're all messed up. So what was the issue here? I mean, things seem to be going well, Right? The church, and we see in chapter four, it's exploding. People are coming. Everyone's in the same, in, of, of the same heart and mind. It's, it's going well. Uh, everyone's happy. The apostles are not in prison anymore, even though they've been beaten. They continue to preach day after day. What is the issue here? Well, let's read back. Let's go back through this and, and see. Now in these days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Here's what we know. We know that needs are being met. We see that in chapter four. Needs are, there, there are needs that are arising and the church is meeting the needs of people. And, and we, we know from, from this first verse in chapter six that, that specifically we, the, the, the church is meeting the needs of the food uh, for, for widows. This day and age, you know, we, the widows were, were, were uh, when their husbands would die, they, they needed someone to take care of them, and they didn't really have anyone. So we see that the church at some level has come alongside these, these widows, and they are taking care of meeting the needs. And so we have two groups of people, the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And what we have here are, are, are both Jewish people just from different cultural backgrounds. The Grecian Jews uh, spoke probably a little bit differently they had different cultural things that they were all about. And, and on, we see there's some tension here between the Grecian Jews and the Hebrew, Hebraic Jews. This is probably maybe our very first time we see a racial issue within the church. Because they, 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 they feel, at least on some level, that they are being discriminated against because of their cultural background. And so there's a couple issues that we, that we see here. First is this, that, that, the, that the Grecian Jews, they make a judgment from the very beginning, they're judging the motives of the Hebraic Jews. And they are, they are saying, well, they, they, they just don't like us. They don't, they, don't, they don't like our widows. And so they are, they are purposefully um, um, overlooking our widows and not giving them food because they don't wanna, want us to be a part of the church. And so, so they're judging motives. And we know, and you know, because we've been around people, that when you judge motives of somebody else or you are, have your motives judged without someone coming and talk to you, 
there begins to be, the unity that was there begins to dissolve, right? Because we see time and time again that when we judge the motives of other believers, it, believe, it begins to destroy unity. And so there's, there's some tension that we see in the early church. And the other, other issue is that they don't, they don't take the, the, the problem to the appropriate people. No, what I think is happening is all the Grecian Jews, they get together and they, they, they get together with all their friends. Maybe they get together with their small group and they're, they're talking and they're like, hey, did you see, did you hear that they forgot to give our Jews, uh, our widows, the, 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 the food? And, and, and they begin just to, to, to have this murmuring and backbiting and they're just, they're just together and they're, they're talking and they're not going to the appropriate people to take care of the issue. And we see, just like in our own churches and our own experiences in life, that uh, there is some division within the church. And division kills more churches than anything else. It's a cancer from within. So we have these two issues that the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, there's tension, they're not, they're not seeing eye to eye. And eventually, the apostles catch wind of what's happening. I don't know how it happened, what, it, what happened, uh, how they got, they got the, uh, uh, caught wind of it, but they catch wind of what's going on. And so what do they do? They take some action. Let's, let's read here just what they do. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. Well, first of all, here, here's the deal. I think we're seeing for the very first time a congregational meeting in the church. This is the very first congregational meeting in the church. And so uh, that was a joke, guys. And uh, just like first service, it's a terrible joke, apparently. So let's, uh, let's move on. All right. Uh, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, this is not a statement on, on, on the importance of serving the widows. The, the, the apostles are not saying that's not, that's, that's not important. What, they, what they're saying, rather, is, is that we need to remain focused on what we've been gifted to do. Because of the fact that the church is continuing to grow and continue to expand, it's gotten to the point where, where the, 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 the apostles can't, not, can't, can't oversee all the distribution of the food. There's just too many people. And so what do they do? Well, they, they come up with a plan. Let's read verse three. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit uh, and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. So the apostles take a wise step of appointing leaders to remedy the situation. They put together a team. We, much like we do here at First Church, putting, bringing together a team of people in order to move the gospel and the kingdom forward. Let's, let's continue with what, what happens. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to the prayer and the ministry of the word. See, the apostles were focused on what they, they needed to be focused on. Focused leadership is important in any organization. Focused leadership is important in the church. It's not about what you say yes to, um, but, but sometimes what we say no to. Some of us need to do a better job of saying no to some things. See, the apostles were given a calling and they could not be distracted from the calling they had been given. So they hear the complaint, they step up, they get a team of people to take care of the issue and then we see what happens next. I love what we see that happens next. The church grew. Look at verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the, of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Not only did the church grow, but 
On top of that, many priests were coming to, to, the, to, know, to know who Jesus is. Now, I think Luke is making a, a point for us to catch here. As he's writing this, he could have just said, hey, the church grew. People were coming to know Jesus. But he, he takes time to let us know that also priests were coming. Think for a moment about these priests. Maybe they were part of the religious leaders that, uh, some of them are maybe part of the religious leaders, the group that just arrested and beaten, had beaten the uh, apostles. Maybe they were actually present at the crucifixion of Jesus because they were the priests, they were the, they were the religious leaders of the, of the day, and, and they're, they're trying to squash what, uh, what this movement of the, of, of the early church. And Luke says, and Luke points out, that even many priests became obedient to the faith. I wonder why that is. Was it simply because of the apostles' teaching that they came to know Jesus? Well, maybe. We read at the end of chapter 5 that, that after the apostles were beaten, they, they continued to go to the temple courts to and from house to house proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. So, so these, these priests would have heard the message of Jesus. They would have heard the things that, that the, the apostles were, were teaching in the temple courts. But also, they would have saw the church in action. In the Old Testament, the priests were the ones responsible for, for taking care of the poor. And can you imagine, as the church is growing and the church is meeting the needs of the poor, how many less people are going to the priest because they're going to the church and the church is meeting their needs. And so I wonder if they're hearing the message of Jesus and they're, um, and they're seeing the impact of the movement of the church and they begin to ask questions again, what is going on here? And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, there's an internal attack, an internal crack that is happening, that it was happening in the church. This tension because of, of the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews not seeing eye to eye. There is this tension that's happening in, in the moment. And the apostles give us kind of the, 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 the game plan to how to deal with it. A need arises, spirit-filled leaders are selected, and growth happens. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that you need to know that I need to know today is that every one of us, every one of us has a part to play. See, First Church is not unlike the early church. We are seeing and experiencing growth, and with growth, there are needs that continue to arise. And we need people, we need followers of Jesus, members of our, of our church, partners with our church to step up and love and serve others. That's why the church exists. We exist to serve and love the world around us. A church that I served at previously used to say it this way. They, they, they used to say, the church is the only institution that exists for those who are not yet members. The church is the only institution that exists for those who are not yet members. What they were saying was this, that we are here as a, as a church to, to show the love of Christ to the world around us. We say it like this here, here at First Church. We are to love Jesus and love like Jesus. See, when we do this, when we step up and we serve those around us, we serve our community, the world takes notice. We exist for those who are far from God. We exist so that they may come to know the saving grace of Jesus. Amen. Do you know, did you notice that every time that we read in the book of Acts about the needs of the people being met, what follows that? The church always grows. 
Every time the church comes together, the church grows. Why? Because the world looks at the church and they see us taking care and loving each other and they want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. See, you don't have to be on staff at a church, an elder, uh, 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 a deacon, or, or some appointed position. No, you are called as a follower of Jesus to be a part of what we are doing. Paul puts it this way in, uh, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says that we are all, uh, we are all part of the body. He's given this illustration of the church and that we, are, that, the, the, that we are all part of the body. We all have different functions within the body. But we all play a part in, in the body. We all play a part and have a part to play as we strive after Jesus and catching and we catch his spirit. So the question I want to ask is what part are you playing? Maybe, maybe this is a better way to ask it. How are you serving Jesus and his kingdom cause? How are you serving Jesus and his kingdom cause? You see, we, 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 uh, uh, we have needs of, uh, of, of play. We have places where you can serve here even at First Church. I don't know if you, if you, if you know this, but as we have a church, as we have reopened, we are seeing more and more uh, of our next generation showing up on a Sunday morning. We've got babies and toddlers back in the first years area and we need some of you to step up and to, to, to go and pour into the lives of these, of these, of these babies and these, uh, these toddlers so that they can know who Jesus is. Maybe for the very first time they can get that foundation. Maybe what we need more than anything is some of you to step up and go and love on some, some babies and toddlers so their moms and dads who are just at their wits end because of what is happening in the world around them can come and sit and, and allow someone to speak into their life, to, to, to sing some songs to Jesus and to, to be filled up for the week. And we need some of you to, to get out of the pews, out of the, the chairs, and to go and love on some babies and some toddlers. We need some of you to go upstairs with our, with our elementary age, our first, our first kids, and love on some elementary students. This one's a little bit more personal for me because I got three kiddos up there. I got a second grader, a fourth grader, and a fifth grader. And, and as we have transitioned to First Church in the last year, I have been so thankful for the men and women who have poured into my kid's life. Who My, my, my kids can't wait to come out here on a Sunday morning because of adults um, who, have, who have said, I am going to pour into to the lives of elementary age students. Maybe you need to um, be a part of our next-gen middle school and high school age where we always could use small group leaders to, to just love on middle school and high school students who be, be an example for them to show them who Jesus is in their life or, or maybe hosting on a Wednesday night or greeting on a Wednesday night or helping serve food on a Wednesday night and being a part of that team. Maybe some of you need to be a part of our, of our cafe area where every Sunday, some of, some of you don't even realize this. Maybe you come in, you grab your coffee, and you come, you come in the auditorium and sit down, but you don't even realize there are people who, who are there serving that coffee, making it, getting all the food set out, and they're just a smiling face and making sure that you are able to come and, and, and relax and worship. And we need people, more people, to step up and be a part of that team. Or maybe we need some people to step up and be a part of the greeting team that are the open doors and, and are, are a welcoming face because we are seeing every week brand new families walking into this, into, this, uh, uh, into this building. And we need some of you to step up and be a smiling, happy face, welcoming face when people walk into the building. Let me, let me speak directly to those of you who are watching online. 
that I know within this, within this, this time that, that things are crazy and some of you are, are able to only join us online and we are in the process of developing an online hub, an online host team. We need people to, to, uh, uh, to, to volunteer, to be a part of welcoming in people to our online services. We are seeing hundreds of people every week come and be a part of what we are doing and we need to build a team and we need people who have advice and have the ability to, to uh, 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 welcome and host online. And maybe that's you. And maybe you're in this, you're in this room and you can do that as well, um, being a part of that team. Maybe, maybe it's, you need to take the time to, to step outside these walls and love on the community around us. Places like the PRC, Neighbors in Need, Owasso Community Resource Center, John 3.16, ways for us as, as, a, as first church in the community that we live in to impact people around us. Because every time we serve and love the world around us, God's kingdom is advanced and God's kingdom is expanded. And it's time for us as a church to come together and continue to catch the wind Let me ask this question again. How are you serving Jesus and his kingdom cause? We are not meant to sit on the sidelines, not meant to sit in our homes or in our pews. We are meant to go and to love the world around us. We are in an all-hands-on-deck moment, church. And it's time for us as a church to catch the wind. Church, will you join us as we seek to expand God's kingdom catching his wind and allowing him to direct our lives so that his, the kingdom of God will continue to move forward. Let's pray. God, I am, I am so thankful that you, you have chosen to use an imperfect person to advance your kingdom. I'm, I am so excited to be part of a church of imperfect people, God, that you have called to advance your kingdom. And God, you, you continue, you continue to use us. God, help us to catch the wind. Help us to be open to how you are gonna lead us, God, so that your kingdom will be advanced, that your kingdom will be expanded. And God, the people who need to hear the message of your, your son Jesus will, will hear that message and have their life changed the way we've had our lives changed because of Jesus. God, help us, help us all to catch the wind. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray.